This is the Deep Color podcast series. Deep Color is an oral history project where I talk with artists about their work and their lives. The ultimate goal here is to give listeners a better understanding about the experiences and people behind the artwork. My name is Joseph Hart. I produce and facilitate this series. These recordings are casual, straight on, and unscripted. This episode profiles Carrie Cholnoki. Carrie makes multi-dimensional paintings and sculpture that collide assemblage, craft, and ready-made objects. She uses a range of materials that include spray foam insulation, printed fabrics, fake hair, sex toys, and paint to make bulbous abstractions that might suggest a toxic labyrinth, otherworldly control panels, or bizarre shelving units. Tactility and thermal color combinations anchor the compositions together and offer the paintings a strange new biology. The work is wonderfully jarring and alive and conceptually explores ideas related to synthetic interaction, natural versus the artificial, and grotesque beauty. We recorded this conversation at her studio in the Williamsburg section of Brooklyn. I, to, I often start out, out with this with this project is language since it's sort of built around language. Yeah. And the fact that we're talking about visual art, things we see with our eyes, but here we are trying to articulate what we see verbally. Um, and I know you've done a few interviews, so I like was paying attention to some reoccurring words that, that were used. Ooh. And I wanted to read them back to you to see oh, if, if you agree with them or if you want to add to them or take away. Okay. Um, so these are a few words that I wrote down. Toxic, synthetic, visceral, dystopian, sensual. And I think these words were like from you, not the writer, poison and parasite. Mm. Do those still hold water for you? Would you, would you edit that list or add anything to it? Um, I think sensual is kind of hilarious. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe like the, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think that's like maybe more insightful than hilarious. It's like redefining, um, redefining uh words associated either with sexuality or the body that are supposed to connote certain things mm -hmm. um sort of just like smashing those words up into little bits yeah yeah making them different yeah um but certainly like uh certainly toxic and parasite those were mine right yeah um yeah i'm obviously still thinking about those Totally. Making this stuff. Yeah, and I feel like the, the sensual thing is probably directly connected to some of the materials you use and some of the forms that like pop up in your work, which we'll get to. But um, I understand it. Uh, some words that I thought of or I've been thinking of are um, biological. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's part of me that thinks like, you know, maybe not necessarily some of these works, but some of the works I, I, I others of pieces of yours I've seen there's there's something about the color dialogue in them that's like not quite natural or this collision of colors that's clashing in a really beautiful way yeah to create this visual vibration and to circle back to um biological like I'm thinking about the dyes that that pe that doctors um make people drink so that when they get images like MRIs or or um you know some sort of like image of the gut or like 
digestive system taking like this dye makes things pop out in yeah. the image so there's something for me about that like something about interior and exterior right bio yeah. biology um but also those yeah. those images are great because they don't necessarily refer to um you know with like a heat map mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily refer to like the body's topology mm -hmm. it's not like what's closest to you like with gradients where things like um you know get a certain kind of color wave according to like the physical attributes of the body mm -hmm. those kind of mappings just have this like cavities are filled with certain color yeah and yeah it stops yeah. or like you know maybe it radiates somewhere else but mm -hmm. it's less um it's less like deeply understandable visually mm -hmm. i think mm -hmm. so. or it's pointing out these things that we wouldn't otherwise see Right. right. Like, I mean, that's the that's the utility of, I think, why they make us drink, why, why we drink dye so that things yeah. show up in other images. But it's like, um, I mean, I've, I've never had to do it, but I, I mean, people in my family have talked about like this weird green blue dye that they have to drink. Yeah. Um, another thing, and this is, I think, maybe outside of maybe what others have written about your work, but their narrative for me. Has anyone ever mentioned that? Mm -mm. narrative in a way that like and this is my own sort of visual baggage right in, t in terms of like how a comic book page is broken up into small windows or brackets mm. like that that gridded structure it's not always a perfect grid yeah but like these series of rectangles that steer the reader through some like create some like visual logic like this is how it should be read hmm it's not explicit in your work, but I do see these windows, this sequential set of windows with little pictures within pictures. Yeah. And, um, or forms that are framed. So there's part of me that like is looking for a narrative from huh. thing to thing. Yeah. Um, I know there's not, probably not an explicit story in these, but, yeah. but for how I like unpack an image, like the idea of a narrative does come through for me. Yeah. I mean, I think it's more of like a compulsion to contain, like to, um, I mean, I think part of it is about containment, mm -hmm. but it's also like control and it's also like examination. Mm -hmm. So like if I put it in a box and set it aside, um, and, and this is also what I'm like in terms of like cataloging and sourcing images on my computer oh, yeah. and like with paper documents I've saved like at home, mm -hmm. like all of my, all of my efforts at or interest in control and like absorbing knowledge are like if I separate it out and like mark a boundary, mm -hmm. this is a, a distinct thing. Yeah. And by collecting them and putting them in a stack, I, mm -hmm. I hope to like do the matrix thing where I like plug a stick in the back of my neck and yeah, yeah. download the knowledge. Uh huh. Um, and so sometimes the paintings are literally just a way of me like organize, organizing and collecting um, things that are important or yeah. interesting or confusing to me. Mm -hmm. um, and then the paintings become like bigger versions of each of the smaller containers. Yeah, I can see that. You call them paintings. Yeah. I, I mean, this always makes people itchy, but I think it's important. Like how do we classify these things or how do we qualify them? Yeah. Um, you know, for me, they slip in and out of painting and and a more sculptural object or an assemblage but uh it seems like you return to the word painting yeah yeah i mean i get that it's important um i think it's important for people to like challenge me and say like 
what are they? Mm-hmm. Um, like, I get that it's important for them mm-hmm. to like either believe in the work or not. Um, I don't think it's very important. Like, this is a conversation the art world has been having since the 60s or maybe 50s. Yeah. Or maybe like 4,000 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, so in that way, it's less interesting to me. I think I think a sculpture is something that you physically can walk around, mm-hmm. like all the way around. Right. And part of why I like making paintings is because I feel confident in controlling like just over 180 degrees of the painting's right. space. Right. And there's a defined front and back. Right. Yeah. There are like rules yeah. to like how a viewer can interact with a painting. Mm-hmm. But with a sculpture the vulnerability to me is just like skyrocketed and controlling space in all of the dimensions um, and still being strong enough that it projects a mood or sort of dictates like how the viewer will interact with it is way more difficult. Yeah. Um, But also like I'm pulling in terms of like the people who uh, I have like spent a significant amount of my time educating myself about and worshiping and um, sort of uh, holding myself up against have been painters. So when I say painting, like the histories, if you're a painter and you like dig through the paintings and say like, here's the lineage, you're going to find mostly painters. Right. No, I get that. And I I, I tend to agree with those those terms, those those conditions. Um, It's also like, you know the the twentieth century notion of what a painting is. It's this right. it's this two D plane brush, wet wet uh, 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 material paint, and marks on that plane. I think these days, uh, you know, painting is a much more fluid thing. It, it's paint can be absence, it can be video. You know, I mean, I really think it's up to us how we want to define these things. Yeah, I mean, I think. Uh, I don't know. I mean, when stuff gets really, really far from, you know, when we when we talk about painting, we're talking about like a certain lineage. Mm-hmm. So when when we just start assigning painting to like all of these different things, to me, that's sort of like art world masturbation or something. Yeah, it's like it's a fucking video. You yeah, know? it's not a painting. Yeah, or like you know, there are attributes of painting that we can assign to all kinds of different art, including yeah. like other really old yeah um, canons of art history and art so it's sort of like that's sort of just like painting being like this like you know painting is everything in the world you know painting controls the dialogue Mm -hmm. to me that's a little bit like painting is the most important thing in the world and i'm just like yeah yeah raining in it is good i guess when i mentioned mentioned video as painting i'm thinking of that guy is it peter blake he's no longer alive he used to do like these projections Oh, yeah. Um, and he called them paintings. I was like, oh, okay, thanks for yeah. educating me on that. Yeah. Um, anyways, um, but I like that they sort of slip in and out of a few categories for me. Yeah. That's attractive and provocative for me as a viewer. Um, and, I, and I also, you know, as someone who makes what I call paintings most of the time, but there's a lot of drawing, there's a lot of mm-hmm. assemblage in them, there's some sculptural elements, uh, you know, I don't like being cornered sometimes. And yeah. I, like, I like the option options are nice yes even when we're talking about this stuff and also like you're saying you know uh we are currently in a verbal pursuit Mm -hmm. but um when we are doing what we want to be doing we aren't assigning categories to all the stuff that we're doing and the more that we don't assign categories the better work we make 
Yeah. So it's like in order to participate in communicating with the rest of society, not just other artists, yeah. we need to be talking, we need to be assigning things yeah. the way that we do. Yeah. And that is important, you know, that in and of itself is important, but it's sort of like behind closed doors, none of us are saying like, now I will, now my body will make a drawing. Yeah. Now I will stop <laughs> on the drawing and I will go back to making a painting. Yeah. Um, that would be really yeah. wild. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'll take a second to describe describe the work uh, like aesthetically. I mean, I sort of went through a few words that we could sort of connect to it as you, as you did as well. But for instance, this one right here is it's functioning like a painting. It's on the wall. It's mostly in like the aspect ratio is a, is a horizontal rectangle. Um, there are sort of dips in and out of the picture plane. So it's, it's not quite a perfect rec rectangle. There are some forms like bubbling off. Um, but there's dimension to it. It's coming off the wall. Um, there's what look like cushions or pillows uh, that have been painted, um, that, that have been adhered to the, to the picture plane, and then almost carpeted over with what look like printed pieces of fabric. And then it looks like you're getting into, on top of it all, with brush and paint or spray. Um, it looks like insulation foam from like the hardware store looks like a tool or some sort of putty mm. that you're using in there um it looks like pieces of wood or excuse me uh um pieces of wig w wig i meant to say like these <laughs> these pieces of yeah i don't know if it's real hair or synthetic hair my hunch is it's probably synthetic because i know you use a lot of synthetic man-made things and then some of these other other pieces um have uh, sex toys in them, which mm -hmm. which you've been on record talking about before, and we'll get into those a little bit. And then some of the other works are more, you know, what we'll classify them as sculptures. You could walk around them. Um, and they sort of, like this one right here, um, you know, is telling me it's some sort of shelving system or pantry uh, with, with um, you know, depth, that, like, and, and planes, it would, can hold things. Um, it looks, feels almost like a, some sort of display case. Mm -hmm. This thing in front of you feels more like a control center, like a desk that you could walk around. It's, it's, it's covered in, like, synthetic fur that's been painted, and then also has what looked like this printed felt stuff cut up and collaged over. Um, but the paintings can, like I sort of said at this front, feel like sequential narratives to me. They also feel like control boards for some like like uninvented vehicle or system. Like these are the controls and knobs to make some other thing happen. They sometimes feel domestic, like cushions or pieces of furniture or upholstery. Um, they also sort of give off a, you know, you meant before we hit record, you're talking about a friend that's developing a video game. Mm -hmm. There's something about like a maze or a game or a puzzle um, or even a board game graphic. Um, but those are sort of my, my quick, maybe not so quick um, description of the aesthetic of these things. Would you co-sign on those? Are they accurate? Would you take away or add anything? Um, am I overlook what's, what am I overlooking? Um, I rattled off a lot of stuff. Yeah, there. I'm, I'm trying sorry. to like, remember all of <laughs> them. I mean, it sounded right. Mm -hmm. um, there are things about some of them that are similar, and there are things about others that are similar. Mm -hmm. Like the one behind me, I find so different from 
that one. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and that's like, you know, I'm still trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's because like I hadn't used as much image in the past. Like yeah. the pieces had been primarily like a sculpted form with like things applied to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one has like more space. I mean, I still want it to be like all surface, but mm-hmm. there is like a kind of weird um, like pictorial space that I've never really dealt with. Yeah. Um, can I just turn that painting around? Yeah. So that pink one is sideways, but that one's sort of like in between, I guess, the two. These two, these two. that we're uh, yeah. riffing on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, the only thing that's not, um, I mean, I, I guess the whole thing is synthetic, like material wise, Mm -hmm. that putty is like an epoxy putty, like Mm -hmm. a super adhesive light, um, binding material. Mm -hmm. And then the foam is a two part urethane expanding foam. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, it's not like great stuff. It's like the stuff that's used to make, um, like the cushions on your couch. Okay. Um, and it's really like out of control. It makes it expands thirty times in fifteen seconds. Oof. So it's and it's expensive. So yeah. it was like a really rough um, <laughs> experimentation period where I was like learning how to um, control it when I used it. But there were plenty of times where like I would work on a painting for three months and pour the foam and it would obliterate. It would just grow. I would yeah. watch it grow over the painting. I would yeah, yeah. watch the painting be lost. Um, so. Um, with all of them uh, and how they end up appearing, there's a certain amount of like control that I have. And you could say that I have control when I pour the stuff knowing that it's going to expand. But each of them um, is like heavily involved in um, like a chemical process that's sort of like out of my control. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, like parts of the painting are super deliberate mark making. Mm-hmm. Like if I put like one of those brown knobs on the painting. Yeah. I make it separately and I I adhere it to the painting right. in a really distinct right. manner. So you're making pieces right. with the intention that they're going to go right there. Right. Yeah. Um, and then other times, like if I do a pour, as I call them, um, if I pour urethane or plastic or something, um, I like spend all day getting hyped up and, that, and then at like midnight, um, I sort of like pull the trigger mm-hmm. um, and it either works and I feel really good about myself or it's like a fucking disaster and I go home that night like yeah. wringing my hands like yeah. fuck. Do they keep you up at night? Yeah, actually yeah. um that's like I was just talking to somebody about this. I um I have in the past I've had trouble sleeping and um I do some different things to help me go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And um one of so I've done like these sort of like meditative things that help me go to sleep where I like imagine that my body is a black glass vessel and I slowly fill myself up with golden liquid from my toes like really really oh, really that's a cool image and I spend like a lot of time looking at myself as a glass vessel black glass vessel mm-hmm. and I'm in a really dark room and then I watch this like super bright liquid fill me up and another thing I've been doing is trying to see paintings sort of like started out of anxiety for this show mm-hmm. and then um eventually it see became, your own paintings yeah okay trying to see like you know i've always felt like um i'm a step behind my work 
Um, so something I've always tried to do is like, you know, of course we're always trying to make the painting that we know we can make or that we want to make. Mm-hmm. It's really tenuous. Like the image of that thing is always like, sometimes you can like get a piece of it and you like chase after it really hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes by doing that, you like destroy it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have found that like in sort of like a half asleep state, um, I just let my mind like make a room and then I put, and then I try to see the paintings that are up on the walls or see sculptures in the room. Um, so as I was making work for this show, every night when I was going to sleep, I was trying to see what the paintings looked like. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, and it it's really not very literal. It's not like, oh, that corner, I can fix it by adding like purple. Mm-hmm. It's more like seeing a shape or getting like a feeling from it or um, like with this work and all of the horizontal rectangles, that was just like a form that was yeah. coming through in sort of a dream state. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a cool podcast called Meet the Composer. Okay. And one of the composers um, who I think he lives in Alaska or something like that, but he composes, when he composes, he resists putting pen to paper for as long as he can. He just hears it in his mind. He composes music. Yeah. Okay. But he like builds the compositions from the start, like with no material at all. Com- all, in the, all in his head. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, holy shit. You know, that to me seemed like insane, like mm-hmm. way more insane. You know, we're visual artists so naturally we would like have this sort of like daydream thing that we could tap into but Mm -hmm. that really blew my mind and it made me think like you know anytime we make a mark on a painting we start reducing it right i mean you could say that two ways and say you're opening it up at the same time but to me it was like uh accessing something that left them open every single night to being anything and there was like limitless possibility if you left it in sort of like a uh like a subconscious world totally and never made it yeah maybe we could talk about how you how you i mean was sort of like was weighted into it a little bit but like how these start um is it is is it is is the type of thing where you have a sort of a pick like a, an image in your mind that and then it's just about trying to get it out and tinker with it or does it start somewhere else can you walk me through how how you kind of begin and and start building and yeah yeah i mean uh they run the gamut from <laughs> from being uh like that painting has been done four times since 2013 uh-huh um so like you put it away then pull it back out and work on it or it's always out you've been working on it since then um i made it and it was done in 2013 and i put it away until 2015 okay and then i was dissatisfied with it and so I sort of tried to destroy it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in destroying it, I s- like sort of passive aggressively made a painting with it. It was blue. It's yeah. like the only blue painting ever that exists in my world. Um, it, initially, it was blue. No. The okay. second time it was finished, it was blue. Okay. The first time it was brown and black and yellow. And now it's mostly yellow and green. Correct. For some context here. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then it was done and it showed. <laughs> it was in a show and then it was put away and I tried to get people to trade me for it because I hated it. <laughs> and no one would take it, yeah. obviously. Um, and so I put it away again and then I took it back out and painted the whole thing yellow and a bit of green. Uh-huh. 
and that was just sort of to kill it uh-huh. so that I wouldn't stop um, being so pissed off at it. Right. Um, and uh, and now and now it's a painting for the fourth time. Yeah. Um, so there are paintings like that. Um, Go through a few different manifestations. Yeah, and just mm-hmm. get cannibalized purely because they're around. Like yeah. if I got rid of them, they would be safe somewhere else and go on to live happy, long lives and have baby paintings and <laughs> maybe host some insects or something like that. <laughs> but uh, the stuff that is around, most of it, I don't have very much old work because I kill a lot of it. And mm-hmm. then there's like like the painting behind me, um, which is like mostly image-based. Um I had like the form in mind Mm -hmm. and I had made these huge digital collages that I had printed on the Walmart blankets. And so you sourced those, those pictures. It's like a picture of, it looks like a little organism. What's that guy called? I can't, it's so bad that I don't know what its name is, but it's it's some like like microorganism, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it's humans oldest genetic ancestor. Um, so we have a genetic link with this like very small microbiotic, which looks very alien. It's got like all these jagged, yeah. What look like teeth and like an orifice that acts like a mouth or something. I mean, these are just like cartoon barnacles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like a huge anus that's also its mouth. Yeah. They're so or funny. Or like Sarlacc pit yeah. from, from Jedi. Yeah, exactly. But it also sort of looks like a old-timey like um, deep-sea diving helmet, mm-hmm. like like sea exploration helmet. Yeah. Um, another, so, yeah. I was going to say real quick, another image is like, a robotic face that's maybe got the latex skin peeled off of it. Is that what oh, yeah. that is up there? The eyeballs? Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Um, so like... Is that this? That, um, it's not the same robot, but... Th- so those One eyes sex robots? are here. Okay. Yeah, that's Harmony. She's a real doll. Real doll, right. That's the... Um, the that's brand. The brand, yeah. yeah. Um, so some of the images like these come from like BBC articles mm-hmm. that I'm just like saving... And then um, some of them, like this, come from Amazon product pages. Like it's an advertisement mm-hmm. image. So you're just pulling digital images off the yeah. internet. And then I'm compiling them into these. Um, like this is a single um, photoshopped file. It's like a big montage, pictorial yeah. montage. Yeah. And then you print it on Walmart, Walmart blankets. blankets. Yeah. So cheap. Yeah. Probably Chinese-made felt. Chinese-made blanket printed in the U.S. Oh. But I suspect, like, I don't know. I can't imagine who is printing these fucking things. Yeah. And I also can't imagine, like, when these are coming off on the bed, like the printer bed. Mm -hmm. Like, what the hell people think. And are the colors that are, that, I mean, color seems, you know, we need to take a second and talk about color a little bit in these. Your, Your color is... Um, there's a vibrancy to these. They're like, they tilt in and out of like sort of electric tones. Um, almost like things that would like do really well under black light. They're not quite fluorescent. They're like sort of in between, in between fluorescent and like the Roy G. Biv spectrum. Um, but are those, are these colors and they, they, they seem like part of you as I know your work, like this is a recurring theme, like these sort of, I don't want to say aggressive, but these these colors that we don't see in the natural world very often. I mean, sure, maybe they pop up in like tropical places or at the bottom of the ocean or something like that. But um, there's something sort of man-made about them. Um, Are these colors part of the imagery that you're sourcing or do you do you 
tweak color in Photoshop and then output or, or how are you how are you developing the, the color conversations in these? I mean, uh, so I didn't want to like for this newer work, I didn't want to use fluorescence really. I mean, mm -hmm. there's fluorescent in two places yeah. in that painting. That um, orange maybe? Yeah, the bottom orange stripe and yep. then there's some yellow. Mm -hmm. um, I really didn't I have used fluorescent a lot in the past. I love fluorescent. That's like, just feels good to, for me to use. Mm -hmm. um, and I definitely have a different threshold for color than like other people. So like, yeah, they are aggressive, but for me, they're just like, um, these are like insanely restrained. You know, yeah. you want, you don't want to see like me do aggressive color, just be like disgusting. Yeah. Um, so, I wanted to not use fluorescent though for these because I am interested in like a natural versus toxicity kind of thing. But like, again, with the like painting tropes, like ever since fluorescents have existed in painting, they've been talked about in terms of toxicity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at some point you're just like, you're just like putting a cue in a painting to reify this like really old you're not like, you know, I think all of us as painters need to ask ourselves like what we're contributing. Right. Um, because like the world doesn't need our paintings. Like, you know, the world doesn't need more functionless things. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's like you really got to be deliberate about what you're putting out into the world. Um, especially if we're going to devote our lives to doing something like this. Um, and part of what we do is great. And part of it is like, super self-serving yeah. and egomaniacal so anyway i wanted to just like see if i could make paintings that still talked about those things but used a different way to get there yeah um and also i wanted to sort of like hold my own feet to the fire and say like these things that you've gotten good at doing can you break it open and get there a different way or like you know to challenge myself and say like uh I don't know, like, you know, flex harder or yeah. like, um, you know, shake things up. Yeah. So, uh, so with these colors, um, some of them, some of them come from an interest of mine in using, um, color with certain kinds of associations made about them. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if pink and blush tones are associated with femininity, how can I make pink be repulsive? Right or look dry or cold or any of the things that pink is not, you know, make pink behave in a way that is misbehaving, right. Right. which also isn't exactly reinventing the wheel. But and put our own expectations on their heels. I yeah. think that's good for the painter to sort of nudge the viewer that way. That's yeah. another responsibility we might have, right? Yeah. yeah. And, if, and if a certain color is associated with a, um, with a militaristic thing, um, making it instead look like, uh, microbial tumor, you know, sort of like, um, not as like regimented and controlled, but more like, um, amorphous and, um, cancerous or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, and so some of the color is found in Photoshop. Um, and then there's like a double translation that happens where I'll do like a certain amount of color modification within the computer screen. And then when Walmart prints it, they will, um, screw it up. And that's like, you know when you say walmart prints it do you like send them a file and yeah. oh it's like a custom on-demand printing thing that walmart has yeah oh shit 
Yeah, fleece blanket with anything you want on it can be yours for forty dollars. <laughs> Which is I'm a little bit out of the loop with Walmart, so but that's Walmart. that's pretty amazing. My yeah. my like next round of like custom gifts are gonna get crazy, I think, for people. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um I guess real quick to get back into like like the 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 physics of how these are made what's mm-hmm. the structure underneath um are you comfortable uh sharing is this like uh yeah, proprietary or are you like you know but <laughs> for I, a but small I ask, price right but i ask because <laughs> some people are are like it's private information they, they're not comfortable transmitting like some of the things that they do so i just want yeah. i just want to check in i mean that's okay. just like sad to me you know <laughs> like so I, I learned a great lesson from Caroline Chandler. Um, he was using some of the same material material I was. Mm-hmm. And he came by my place and dropped off all of this free studio material. And I was like, don't you want this stuff? And he was like, he was like, man, when I saw what you were doing, I was like, Carrie's doing it better. So yeah. I'm going to do something else. Yeah. And I was like, first of all, I was like, I loved his work. And I was uh-huh. like, you should keep doing it because yours is completely different and magical in its own way. But it was also like a good lesson of some of, you know, the possibility that uh, artists share with each other and that you're like, you know, of course, in a certain time and in a certain place, we're going to be making work that's similar to each other. Part of that's really exciting, but part of it is also like, um, you know, we shouldn't be like, like in caves, like hiding our stuff from each other and and hiding um, processes and craft and all of that kind of stuff. That's, That's like, that makes me depressed. Yeah. I'd like to, I I I lean towards figuring out ways to be generous. Yeah, what we do. I think I think there's value in that, and it's it's you know this life is it's hard ho- enough. It's man. hard enough. I mean, we might as well figure out how to be supportive and, yeah. and share, right? Yeah. Um, but I do also respect people that are keep to themselves in their own way. I guess like yeah. I, I'll leave that door open too. Um, yeah. Anyways. Okay. So anyway, the structure underneath the these? structure. Yeah. Um. So with the sculptures. The structure, you can see like up on my table, these like lint truffle um, red structures. Like display shelves for chocolates in a grocery store. Correct. Yeah. So the one that's on the left that's sort of like the Donald Judd stack Mm -hmm. as a lint truffle stand, Mm -hmm. um, that is also lint truffle. And then the one on the top that's the yellow one is like a Dorito display stand. So those are all just cardboard like straight from a bodega junk food yes huh um which i junk food i also love because it's sort of like a toy that you can eat yeah and another poop. thing that's been processed yeah 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 and with great color also mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so those are cardboard and then um this one though the sculpture in front of me um i built with um two inch two inch insulation board okay um and then covered with faux fur mm-hmm um, what about the paintings? Is it like a traditional stretcher frame underneath those, or what's what are, what's behind those? Those are made the same way as the custom built sculpture. So it's two inch insulation board laminated with plywood. Okay. And then any of the sort of things built off of that range from the urethane foam to uh, more insulation board to corrugated cardboard to um, like pillows that I make. Um, sometimes I'll just like. Like with that one, I'll attach like whole other paintings or sculptures to the surface to mm-hmm. add dimension. Um, this one's got like synthetic hair that I dipped in paint and then threw on the painting. 
Um, but most of the structures start with that insulation board. And most of the reason for that is because I want to keep weight as far down as possible. Right. Because as you can see, the paintings are like my size and I work on them basically half on the floor and half on the wall. Yeah. So they go up and down every day yeah, a few yeah. times. Yeah. You want to, I mean, that's, that's, that's just practical thinking. I like that. Yeah. We have to be smart with our bodies yes, so we, we can, uh, live. I mean, it's a Choose chess, life. it's a chess game, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um, you know, maybe this is a good spot to talk about the sex toys that are incorporated. I mean, that's such a provocative part of these. And I feel like I'd, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about them. But um, from what I've read about your work, you, you buy them online, bring uh, and they're often like orifices for masturbation of some sort. Um, but you t sort of take them apart or cut them up and use them as collage elements. And they're all, like these, it looks like both in this one and that one, they're behind little plexiglass things are like contained. Yeah. Um, but they look like, you know, they're, they're like abstracted enough. Like they read as barnacles or knobs again for this control panel. Um, but then they also had like, once you get a little closer and you spend some time with them, they're like body parts. And <laughs> then that brings me back into this whole like biological thing I said at the front. Yeah. Um, how did you arrive at, at like introducing these into the work or like using a sex toy as a gesture? Yeah. Um, I have been, I looked at images of them for a really long time. Um, and, uh, it's funny, um, when something, um, I don't know, there's, there, I guess they're so absurd to me that it, it never even occurred to me that I could just like buy one and like have it mm -hmm. um you know they lived in my mind so much in the world of absurdity and fantasy that they almost mm -hmm. it almost didn't occur to me that they were like real physical like to our to your point earlier about talking about how people ingest images and then live a certain kind of reality or have a certain kind of understanding of things they've never actually seen yeah um, oh that's when we're talking about earlier, digital earlier. before hit record yeah, yeah yeah how you were talking about how we ingest images or objects through a um, digital kind of um, filter. Yeah, through our phone screens usually these days. Yeah. yeah. So I looked at them for literally years before in 2013, I just like spent eight ninety nine and fucking bought one. Mm -hmm. And then, and I, I wish I could replicate. I mean, it's fun when I have people over to the studio and I like give someone one to hold mm -hmm. i wish i could replicate the feeling in me of the first time i held one and it left like a residue on my hands my hands stunk for like four days afterwards yeah. of the, like the perfume they inject them with um and it was just like um it was an amazing experience of f feeling it because it's such a distinct bizarre heavy weird feeling and then um the way it moves is also like totally unwieldy and yeah 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 hysterically funny uh, just real quick, I got to say, I think I caught a video you, you made on your, so, like maybe Instagram or yeah. something. It was like a slow progression of you holding one of these um, masturbation things, but you're sort of like gently wiggling it and it's like <laughs> sort of flopping <laughs> and then you start moving a little bit faster and it's blah, 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 and yeah. then super fast. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I watched that with my partner and then i think he even showed it to my seven-year-old daughter i mean it's abstract enough to know yeah. what it was but we we're all dying laughing <laughs> i mean it was really i mean to connect back to the absurdity of all i yeah. mean these things are ridiculous yeah what's not to love yeah <laughs> um 
Yeah. And the weirdest thing about that one too is that it's like a maggot kind of. Yeah. Like the shape of it is yeah. so Yeah, some sort of worm alien or something. Worm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um so they're even better when they when they totally lose the human form and just become like a strange Caucasian flesh like shape. Yeah. Um but so anyway, f- at first when I was using them I was using them because of because I was painting like full scale this size um paintings of the advertising forms because they were um they were like anime characters or cartoons like they did the like funny disturbing um transition really beautifully just as images mm-hmm. um but then once i bought one i was so like it totally reoriented my understanding of them and also of like um sort of like what the contemporary body is mm-hmm. um and sort of like the most current, so I was putting them in paintings initially, like mm-hmm. the orifice would face the viewer and the painting became literally a masturbation tool. Yeah. Um, and most recently I've been slicing them up and putting them behind Plexi. Um, just as I continue to examine them, I'm thinking about them like more in an elemental way or more in an obliterated way mm-hmm. and less as like functional objects. Yeah. Um, so part of like pressing them behind the plexi for me is like making them into like a Petri dish or like a microscopic slide and saying Mm -hmm. like, and looking at them like through every layer of bisection. Mm -hmm. Um, like you said, they also then reference like this kind of form that I'm repeating, which is like a knob or like thinking about when a body part becomes like a knob. Mm -hmm. Um, there's like a great Lee Lozano line where she says, that she wishes people's faces were just like a control panel huh. so that we could be read and understood more easily. Right. Um, so I'm thinking like about that kind of um, yeah. collapse of like, you know, human and machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I'm also just thinking about like, um, you know, as material and things break down and become parts and then circulate widely, how that relates to the circulation of, bodies and material and bodies as material and how all of that stuff is ingested back into society and into the natural world and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I was going to say there's so many pathways in and out of, Yeah, I mean, it's a terrible pun of these orifices, but (laughs) I mean, just just this little microorganism that we were talking about, that looks like a sex toy. Yeah. Um, And even like... How many pieces of nature look like vaginas or anuses or some sort of opening flowers like georgia o'keefe's paintings thrived in that sort of gray space right um but also like i said like the ones that are um most compelling to me are the ones that um that no longer really like strive to represent a person yeah like the sex dolls like the new ai sex dolls are, are a sort of different conversation but the but the masturbators where there's like two tits and a bush between the tits and like a pair of nuts under the bush <laughs> and on the top of the bush a vagina and on the sides of the boobs. Like this is just, something you could buy? Yes. Okay. Um, you know, that that's where you're like, okay, a bunch of people are getting in a room and saying like, what have we not had sex with yet? Yeah, yeah. And making these like literal orbs of self-lubricating silicone yeah. with a real mashup of... Um, distinguishing features and devoid of humanity there's no face well sometimes there are parts of a face um like what's really bizarre to me is that with some of the 
um, masturbators that have mouths, they'll have like a little teeny nose or something. Weird. And like one that I just bought um, is like there are two tits pointing straight up in the air. And on one end of the orb with the tits, um, like the wrinkle from like the tit folding over on the skin makes this sort of slanted eye. Mm-hmm. And there is a nose and a mouth and you can have sex with the mouth. Hmm. So it's like where your neck should be, where your head should come out of your neck. Yeah. There is instead a teeny little nose and a mouth. Gosh. And you're like, whoa. So like a person, you know, it's just like that, that becomes, um, so far from representing a person yeah I, and I mean, the people that buy them are not buying them because they want to have sex with the person they're right. buying them because they want to have sex with that thing yeah so that's where things get really interesting to me um i mean i think you know my interest in them lies in a few different realms but um when when we stop uh you know when we stop having the masturbator be a stand-in for woman or man or whatever and just be its own thing. You know, when people start seeking out um, real romantic relationships and people do like the comment boards for these things on Amazon, I would recommend looking into because some of them are called like Cassidy and people will say like, Cassie and I have been together for three months. I just recently bought her like this wig and this pair of panties and you're like, I can't tell if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, but I think that it's like, I think it's a real um telling uh example of how sort of personhood or you know anim- animate things and inima- inanimate things have been mashed together to yeah. create this or how of- isolated we've become like the idea of like real interaction is yeah. such a scary difficult thing these days that we result to these non-living things for yeah. or you know I mean, they make movies about this stuff now, right? So, uh, yeah, it's wild. I mean, yeah. I think in, in one of these interviews you mentioned, I wrote this line down because it was kind of nice, that you were, uh, you have an interest in making objects that give people meaningful satisfaction. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of, your paintings do that, these devices do that, um, and you're colliding them together. Right, and yeah. I guess like the forms themselves, um, uh, I don't know, I mean, I don't struggle, I think a lot of people think my work is really like abrasive and um, uh, like brutal. And I just like, like I said, I have a different threshold for material and color and form and all these things. So I make things I really want to see. Like to me, I think they're really beautiful paintings. Yeah. Um, I'm not making something that I think is like, you know, like uh, ugly or any of those kind of things no no i've been thinking about this idea about new beauty yeah and for me like that phrase fits like this idea of of well it's challenging the 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 like the sort of status quo definition of what beauty is right um aesthetic beauty um we usually associate soft fragile delicate things to that usually feminine um and i and i don't I don't think those adjectives quite fit with your work, but these do have like some sort of new beauty in them. Yeah. In that, um, you know, it's almost like like altering oneself when you're not happy. Uh, maybe that's not the way to look. I'm just thinking about people that like sort of mutilate themselves in some capacity to in, in the attempt to make themselves more. Yeah. More more physically beautiful, um, but there's something about that like 
that like challenge in your work uh, of that in your work yeah. um i don't know does does that yeah i mean sense? i think uh that was a little cloudy i'm sorry about that it's okay i'm yeah. i'm you know in terms of translating all this stuff into language yeah i'm just as cloudy on like the ways to say um what i'm basically otherwise doing yeah by making paintings yeah but um or when you're just looking for new stuff that hasn't been said before maybe that's yeah that's what i was trying to do like i mean I don't, i've never talked words. about new beauty before yeah, right so yeah. here i am you're combining all the words you know into sentences you've <laughs> never made <laughs> um yeah i mean i think uh you know when i talked about like control with the viewer um you know i make paintings that are body size they're yeah. my body size i relate to them like with my chest like you know, um, I, I want to make paintings that make you feel like you're sharing a room with a right. thing. Right. So um, part of that relationship, I think, is that the painting ends up being, the painting is aware that it's being looked at and the painting reacts in a kind of way because it's being looked at. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of camouflaging itself within itself. Yeah. Um, which is a defense mechanism. It's also sort of like throwing off warning signals and it's also like, uh, I don't know. I just like, I see that kind of like, um, you know, I think they are feminine and blow up the term feminine. Yeah. Um, they are a single type of feminine. Um, you know, I think they are made in an effort to make feminine a hundred different things. Yeah. Like the term feminine. Maybe that's what I meant by new beauty. It's like just redefining it. Yeah. In a way that we're just tired of the old definition and, yeah. and it's it's about like open opening the the idea up a bit more right yeah maybe but it's also it like um you know beauty was constructed based off of a certain set of aesthetic values like that a group of that literally a bunch of people in the same way that a group of people get together and say what do we want to have sex with? Right. A different group of people, but maybe sharing some individuals, got together and said, how are we going to classify value and beauty and worth aesthetically? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I wasn't at that table. And <laughs> I think, like, maybe a few million other people weren't at that table. So it's sort of just, like, pointing out the arbitrariness of those decisions. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's and well also said. just, like, like, getting the prudeness out of, like... Um, and it's, again, like it's 2018 and we're still talking about like being renegades with color and form and material and all of these things yeah. that you would think um we'd sort of gotten past yeah but i don't think culture is a slow moving thing yes it is um i feel like we've talked i want to put art down for a second and get into a little bit of uh biography okay you grew up in the midwest i grew up in connecticut correct? connecticut why do I have Wyoming on my brain? Well, my my family lives in Montana now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And I grew up my my mom and dad's families both actually have um family from Wyoming and Montana. Okay. And um my I'm not going to go through the whole story, but um in the summers we would go to Gallatin Canyon, Montana. Um I worked on a ranch there for a few summers when mm -hmm. I was a teenager. Um, and my, uh, folks live there now. Okay. My older brother used to be a hunting guide in Wyoming. Cool. Do you remember like an early influence from when you were a kid, like, uh, like something visual or like what your introduction to art may have been? Ooh. What's, what set this whole machine in motion? Um, you know, what's strange is I, I mean, I know 
from a photograph and sort of from memory, but I think it's influenced by the photograph that I wore a beret to school. I was new, um, or maybe it was, yeah, I, I wore a beret to the first day of school in second grade um, because I was like into the idea of being a French painter, like a fauvist, I guess. <laughs> but I also know that at the time my school didn't have a great art program, so I don't- Do you remember how old you were wearing the beret? I was probably seven. Oh, okay. Is that how old you are in second grade? Yes. I My daughter's so. in second grade. She's okay. seven. Yeah. Um, so um, I know that the school didn't have a great art program because my parents have all this great art on the walls of their house and it's all my little brother's art. And I asked like, what's the deal? Where's my old art? Mm -hmm. and I don't think I had much art classes back then. So my grandfather was a, um, he worked for Pan Am um, after being in the war. The airline. And then retired and was like a hobbyist water watercolor painter. Okay. So I think that was my first introduction to art. But there wasn't really anyone in my family that was like an artist or yeah. making art. And I grew up in like a pretty average, conventional, Connecticut, suburban family. Um, my dad worked at the same insurance company for 34 years. Yeah. Um, I went to a liberal arts college. And when I graduated, I had taken... Uh, Renaissance art history and contemporary East Asian art history. Those are my two points of reference with the art world. Okay. So I had like a 700-year gap in my art world knowledge, 600-year um, gap. And uh, after college, I moved to New York, and that was like the beginning of understanding what contemporary... Like if, if you asked me when I was 21 who my favorite living artist was, it would have been like a real difficult kind of thing to wade through. Mm -hmm. um, in 2006, I saw um Ali Bonacou painting for her touring solo show or solo um retrospective exhibition at MoMA and that was really what like cracked my skull open and had my brain melt out onto the floor um that's a, those are important moments yeah um I think I may have seen like an image of a painting of hers before but obviously until you stand in front of one of them and feel like you're gonna die yeah uh it's hard to replicate that experience yeah. um so that was sort of, I would say seeing her painting was the real like formative thing for cool, me. Cool. Up until that point, it was really just like taking me from being super, super naive about the art world to being like even kind of aware of what yeah. was going on. That's great. Um, you know, I mentioned on, uh, I sort of like peered into your life through your your social media stream. You know, yeah. I mentioned the, the like jiggly mm -hmm. sex toy. But like before and after that, I saw images of you, what looked like you were hunting with a family member. Oh, my older brother. Yeah? Yeah. I'm just curious, as someone who also grew up in, in like a, well, I, I grew up in a rural place. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm always looking for like, I love talking to people about like those two experiences, like an urban experience yeah. versus a rural experience and the things you do in the country versus the things you do in the city. Is there any conflict for you with like your life when you're in... Montana fishing and hunting versus here sure I mean how do you square it or do you even bother is it just sort of fluid it goes from one to the other pretty easily do you have conflict I think I have culture clash yeah um both in and coming back to the sure. city you yeah, know what me I mean too. yeah so um it's just like classic you know it was like an artist you already feel yeah disjointed from society yeah and it's like you go to your home place mm -hmm. and I do feel like Montana is my home place okay but it's still like, you know, you go to the bar and, you know, someone says Hillary Clinton's a fag. And you're like, good God. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it's so, it's really hard being in both environments. Yeah. 
Um, it makes me feel bipolar. Yeah. I mean, because it is really is two <laughs> different ways of living and way of viewing the world. And also um, values. Like, yeah. in terms of what you deem to be important to you, like, if I go for a week and I'm skiing every day in the winter, I'm, like, ice fishing with my dad in the afternoon yeah. and, like, drinking beers and, and eating meat total, every night. That's, that's normal behavior there. Yes, yeah. That's, like, a crazy vacation Yeah. when we're in the city, like, to go skiing and fishing, like, right. back to back. Yeah. Like that's wild. But after that week, you're like, I could be a ski bum. Yeah. And I could be totally happy. And um, I could feel this way. You know, I'd be so fit and I'd be eating well and, you know, live in a town of 2,000 people, have a really simple, beautiful kind of life. Mm-hmm. Um, but that wears off and you miss um, having conversations like these mm-hmm. and going to Chelsea or the Lower East Side and seeing like two dozen shows right. for free every four weeks. Right. Um, or even being around people that will not like think that you're fucked up for making this stuff. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I make, you know, for all intensive purposes, pretty conventional artwork. It's paintings, it's drawings that go on a wall. Um, they're abstract, they're non-representational, but when I go home, I'm like the weird guy. Yeah. And that's (laughs) kind of ridiculous. (laughs) I know. Um, especially when there's a guy at the bar who like, you know, (laughs) <laughs> spends all night drinking blackberry brandy and like steals wood from yeah. private property yeah. and you know you're the fucking freak yeah yeah you know? <laughs> that said every now and then like i have some friends that are like born and raised still i grew up in new hampshire yeah that like they're they're wood boogers they live in the wood they work in contracting or drive trucks and they'll surprise me with like a point of view about oh, totally. what i do so like yeah. I guess going back to being generous, like yeah. I don't want to take that away from, from things out there, right? No, definitely not. And um, that, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that's why, um, especially in this political climate, I yeah. feel super fortunate for being exposed to such a different point of view, like to contribute that to conversations in yeah. New York. Because just like you're saying, you know, it's a great lesson about America in general is you think you know someone and, you know. Yeah. And just like with painting, you're reminded over and over and over again that you need to be uh, educating yourself for life yeah. and that you don't know the whole, you need yeah. to assume that you don't know the whole story. It's a marathon. Yeah. Not a sprint. I mean, yeah. it's such a tired cliche, but I just said it's it. It's true. <laughs> you went there. Um, so, so what are we saying? Oh yeah. We're so, just talking about uh, growing up in rural, yeah. urban. I mean, I was, I was, uh, I was thinking that, um, and I've said this to people before because like anybody that knows me, and I'm sure it's the same with you. People ask like how you reconcile the two places. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, at least the thing I have come to tell myself is that uh, you can't compare. To me, you can't compare the two. Everything that I love about Montana has nothing to do with New York and everything I love about New York has nothing to do with Montana. Yeah. So I try to love each place when I can be there and for its own reasons. But you know, if I'm in Mon, like before I went to grad school, I was in Montana for a while. And, um, you know, you're sort of, once you start envisioning a life somewhere, you're like, okay, but it doesn't have this thing that I really love in my life, like the intellectual conversation and the, um, you know, all of the things about New York that I love. Um, you start comparing them. Mm-hmm. And I, I just don't think that that's super fair. Yeah. Um, for me, Montana is a place where I can like use and feel my body in a way that is different than like being catcalled on the sidewalk. Yeah. Like for me, New York is a very heady place and I get my rocks off, um, through like cerebral things mostly. 
mm-hmm. unless I'm like at a noise show and I feel my nostrils vibrating. Yeah. You know, which is a body experience. Or your heartbeat changes because yeah. of the bass. Yeah. 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 Um, so like there are things in New York where I can access that. But for me, like being at 11,000 feet on a horse 25 miles from something is not that <laughs> you cannot replicate that experience true. through doing anything in New York. It's true. So um, I enjoy both places a lot for yeah. super different reasons. And uh, every time I leave there, it just breaks my heart. Yeah. But um, I feel like I've got a great community here and a couple great bosses and I got a good thing going on. So as long as I, um, as long as my body will put up with the kind of food I'm feeding it and uh, the lifestyle and the back breaking yeah. and stuff, then I'm going to be here. And when I'm, I've got my ejection seat, I think that that's like how I think about it. Yeah. Too. Cool. So we're sitting in your studio. It's full. And one of the other things about your work um, for me is it like I feel like this one's pulsating over here it's like Mm. it's like oddly alive Um, and that goes back to this like biological thing or like organism thing about your work but you're getting ready for a show so your your studio is very alive right now there's a lot of action there's there's gear and tools and color and paint and adhesives and pieces of (laughs) things and glue guns all like sort of strewn about you're like in production mode and you're getting ready for this uh, a solo presentation is it a one person show yeah at safe gallery yeah how do you prepare for a show do you just do you you design it ahead of time in your head and then execute or is it just like you make and then put it together like select the things that are the strongest or create the most interesting dialogue and go from there like do you have a a rhyme or a reason um i mean i i basically always am working on like 15 things at a time yeah um, so in some ways it's like not different in other ways, like I have a deadline. So knowing that things have to be finished by a certain date makes me, um, you know, if there's something I want to wrap up, I'll do that like deliberately for the mm-hmm. show. Um, because it's my first solo show, I really wanted to, um, you know, I've like shown in group shows at like various places for the past few years. Um, so I might feel like I've already gone through a certain like succession of ideas or something, mm-hmm. but actually like no one really pays attention to work in group shows. Right. So it was sort of like an opportunity to like, um, sort of like thoroughly flesh out something I've been thinking about for a long time otherwise. Um, so I looked at it as sort of like a really distinct opportunity to like show the ideas. Right. Um, so for that reason, I knew that there were going to be certain things that I wanted to do. Um, but I didn't have like, I don't, I don't work in a way where it's like this painting is about this and this painting is about that. Right. I don't have like the kind of like uber conceptual practice where I'm saying like this show is going to be titled this because it's about this article I read three years ago and you know, everything is in devotion to Mm -hmm. some, something. Yeah. Um, Um, on the other hand, there were like, it was an opportunity for, um, doing something I hadn't been able to do yet, which was like show a video. I'd been wanting to make, um, you know, those videos on Instagram where I'm shaking the flashlights, Mm -hmm. um, were something that was a joke at first. And again, with learning the lessons, something that starts out as a joke ends up being like serious or interesting. Um, so I collaborated with my partner, Dante. Um, and we made a sound and video piece f- oh. for the show deliberately. Um, 
so that like is going to occupy a very specific space in the um, gallery in the gallery uh-huh. with the paintings yeah do they does is the video going to sort of bridge into the work in some capacity do you envision that happening or is it is it sort of separate but related um I mean, or, it, or who knows? Maybe bri- we'll know when we get there. It bridges into the work, certainly content-wise. Yeah. Um, it's going to be shown like in a in a black room, okay, like on its own, um, and that's mostly because like it is a sound and video piece, right? Like the sound. You have to contain it. Yes. Yeah. Um, and the sound is linked like through like the data of the visual information of the thing shaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, some of the visuals um, are from that painting. Oh, great. Um, so that will be a first for me. Um, and then, uh, the rest of the work, like I said, I'm, I, I mean, I have like a little model of the gallery. Um, Mm -hmm. so I've been like thinking about where things might go, but most of it is like, I knew it would be an opportunity to show sculpture, which I don't make unless I know it's going to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, just because I've never had the room until November 1st when I moved in here. Yeah, I, I feel like when I when I reached out to you about doing this, you're like, I'm in the middle of getting my first studio. Yeah. You moved out of your living room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which was amazing. Yeah. But now I'm having the classic New York panic of like having an empty room in my apartment. Right. And it just feels like way excessive. I'm like, we got to move. <laughs> we got to downsize. Yeah. Um, so I would imagine some of this stuff will go into the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also the kind of thing where like uh, I got too like tight about thinking about what was going to be in the show and I stopped like just working as if it was my normal practice yeah so in the past like couple days I've been starting I started like you know eight new paintings man I I I identify with that like as I get closer to go time Mm -hmm. it's like I have this new amazing idea yeah it came out of like things I'd been working on thought I was like there I'm like wait no I'm just starting and then it's like this crazy rush and I make something very exciting yeah is it is it something like that totally yeah I mean like maybe four days ago yeah. at midnight I had a total almost panic attack moment where I was like I was like oh my god I need to start the show over mm-hmm. like literally scrap everything and start over oh man and I know how so, that feels yeah, yeah. But I feel like um you know we we all like have well not all of us but some of us uh balance like day jobs with making paintings and so you're like um having a show like a real show means you know people are going to look at it so you have this like extra kind of pressure and excitement um to uh like present what you're thinking about Mm -hmm. and what you're excited about um and so you take yourself really seriously for like a few months and make the show and like at the end of working that hard and having that much focus on your work um you're like just at the beginning of making interesting stuff yeah and, you know, I just feel like a fucking idiot for not starting like a year ago so that I didn't have to really go through this. Life doesn't work like that sometimes. I know. <laughs> but it's also it just really shows yeah. like the kind of um, shitty situation that New York artists are in where they have to spend so much time working that they can't like I you can't know, execute. If I had more time to make work in my studio, um, I can't argue the hypothetical and say that that wouldn't have happened. But it's sort of like one of those unfortunate it's an example of one of those unfortunate situations where I like am given the opportunity to take myself super seriously. And, uh, at the end of it, I'm like, now I'm getting right. somewhere exciting. Right. And it's like, you're just like, shit. Yeah. It's catching that wave. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I feel like it's a good 
place to be in. Yeah. So I'm excited for you. Ah, oh, thanks. Um, I feel like this is a good spot to sort of bookend it. Okay. Um, it's funny. We were talking about sort of like what keep, what keeps us up at night at the yeah. front of the conversation. You know, and in anticipation of coming over this morning to speak with you, I was up thinking about your work, ah. and not in a not out of like a like I'm I'm terrified, but like <laughs> like in a in like a, a like like fascination with huh. the work, and you know, you use the term mind melting. Like these are mind melting. I agree with that in a good way, um, and they challenge me in the right ways, and they're really you know, provocative and this like idea of new beauty. I really like sort of straddling that and trying to figure out what the fuck that means. Yeah. Um, and I feel like your work has introduced that idea to me in some capacity, oh. which is cool. But um, yeah, thanks for participating in this project. And I think the show is going to be great. I can't wait to see it when it comes together. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, it was Carrie. really nice talking to you. Yeah, thanks. We've made it to the end. A quick reminder that listeners can learn more about this project and the artists featured by visiting deepcolorpodcast.com. You can also show support by making a donation via the PayPal link and subscribe to the series in iTunes. Thank you for listening and check back soon for a new episode.